Hello, friends. Have you ever noticed that there is always something between you and what you want, and between you and what you need, or what you want and what's best for you? There always seems to be an obstacle. I mean, sometimes these obstacles are real, obstacles we've created for ourselves, sometimes imaginary, sometimes we just make them up. For example, the obstacle between you and better health might seem like it's the pizza or the chocolate cake or the recliner that's more comfortable than going to the gym. But most often the obstacle to better health is the erroneous belief that you have about yourself and about your willpower and about your ability to reverse the inertia of your long-time habits. Either way, if you're able to break through to better health, you must confront the obstacles you face. The same is true in your relationship, your finances, your business, your personal goals, and, of course, your Christian life. When you aspire to walk more closely with God, you will soon encounter several roadblocks or obstacles on your path, Some of them have to do with what's in your heart. Some are the result of what Zig Ziglar used to call stinking thinking. Your obstacles are imaginary or based on bad information. This applies to our topic today. A few weeks back, we talked about how worship begins by preparing ourselves with an attitude of surrender, sacrifice, and service. Because worship isn't about you or me or even us. It's about the one whom we've come to worship. For this reason, our goal is not that we find the worship service entertaining, but that he finds our worship acceptable. So we need to come to him with a heart prepared for worship. Now, I've been a Christ follower most of my life, so I know all too well that when it comes time to worship, either in a public service or privately, I know that there will often be obstacles to confront. And these obstacles all exist between my ears or right behind my shirt pocket. In other words, they're either heart issues or they're based on stinking thinking. Before we can enter unencumbered worship, we must first deal with some of these issues that often stand in our way. And if you have your Bibles, take a look at Romans chapter 12. And this is perhaps the deepest and most theological of uh, Paul's letters. He talks in great length about God's grace, and his conclusion is that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus, we have been declared not guilty, and our sins have been forgiven once and for all and forever. And though we still struggle with our sinful nature, the promise of the book of Romans is that victory shall be ours. Because though through Christ we are more than conquerors, and through the power of his resurrection, we can reign in life. Now, even as we now struggle with the sinful nature, we know that God's forgiveness is absolute and our ultimate victory is assured. That's what the first section of the book of Romans is all about. Now, after Paul's theological dissertation in Romans 12, he shifts into a plain and practical presentation of the basics of Christian living. He begins this section with the idea of what I would call whole life worship. Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. In these first few verses of Romans 12, Paul shows us how to confront some of the ideas and attitudes that might be standing in our way as we seek to come before him in worship. Now, at one time or another, I've had to deal with every one of these. If you've ever been a Christ follower for very long, you probably have too. But these obstacles need not stand in your way. You can overcome each one so that when you enter into worship, your worship is free and unencumbered. So today I just want to talk talk about five obstacles we need to overcome in order to cultivate a lifestyle of worship. Obstacle number one is persistent shame. 
Now, many people say, I know that God is great and God is good, but I'm not. He may be worthy to be praised, but I'm probably the last person he wants to hear from. Now, many of us still carry the weight of guilt and shame from the past, and by the past, I mean yesterday. We remember the things we've done with regret, and to make matters worse, we struggle in some of those areas. We think sometimes, who am I to come before God with hands lifted when I know and God knows what I'm really like? So we feel kind of ashamed, embarrassed of who we are. We feel guilty because of what we've done. We think, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not worthy. And you know something, friends? The fact is, that's true. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. We're not worthy. And that's why Paul begins by saying in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, here it comes, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Hope you caught that. By the mercies of God. He's talking about grace. God's unconditional grace that you can either you can neither earn nor deserve, but that he lavishes on all those who come to him in faith. The Christian life will always be about mercy and will always be about grace. You're never going to get to the point in your life where it isn't. There will never be a time when you can say, Okay, Lord, I've had a good week so we can skip the part where I confess and you forgive and we can just jump to the part where you say, I'm so lucky that you're here to worship me today. Well, guess what? That will never happen. Now, as you grow in grace and you experience victory over sin, you're going to find that you struggle with sin less and less in certain areas. And you may see yourself getting better, but you will never see yourself becoming worthy. I'm saying your relationship with God will never be based on anything other than mercy or grace. The good news is the well of mercy never runs dry. I've always loved Lamentations chapter 3:22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. This means that every single day of your life you can wake up right with God because brand new covering of mercy is coming your way and it never ends. We should never take lightly, lightly the <clears throat> serious nature of our sin, but neither should we take lightly the powerful nature of God's grace. Now, sin may offend a holy God, but to refuse to live by grace offends him even more. For this reason, if you sometimes struggle with the I'm not worthy attitude, that's a pretty good place to be as long as you let it drive you to God's grace. Yes, I'm not worthy. And because of this, I reach out for his mercy that is new every morning. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, if you face an obstacle of guilt and shame and a feeling of unworthiness, remember Paul said, By the mercies of God. Here's obstacle two, spiritual pride. Now, there are some, and I used to be a card-carrying member of this group, who don't struggle at all with the sense of unworthiness, but instead they see themselves as one of the worshiping elite. And when they look around the room, or when they look at other Christians, they sometimes think, Lord, it's such a shame that everyone can't be like me. Their attitude is, if God grades on a curve, I probably set the curve. And when they have their private devotions at home, they enter their prayer closet and say, Okay, Lord, I'm here. The meeting can now begin. This sense of smug self-satisfaction that I'm one of the elite will undermine a believer's ability to offer holy and acceptable worship to God. <clears throat> a few years ago, I was a guest preacher in a church, and a, a woman, uh, when everybody else had kind of disappeared at the end of the service, approached me and said, you know, I know more about worship than anyone in this fellowship. And if the pastors would only follow my lead, uh, we could enter into a whole new realm of the Spirit.
Then she began to tell me why the church couldn't enter this realm, and it was because of sin amongst the leadership. I mean, she started to share some details that she had no business knowing, and I had no business hearing, so I, I cut her off. I mean, I found it interesting. Here she thinks she's ready to lead the church to the next level, but she's gossiping about rumors to a stranger. And there was nothing in her words that reflected an attitude of respect for those whom God had placed in leadership. And I doubt that she really knew all that much about genuine worship or that she was really prepared to lead others in that direction. Now, what I'm saying is for those who think they might be just a cut above the rest, Paul said in verses 3 and 16, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you to not think of yourself more highly than he ought to think. Never be wise in your own sight. Friends, those who think they set the curve don't realize how much they're sustained by the curve. I mean, because it's all about mercy. If you're tempted to think, look at me, I've arrived, you need to go back to square one, to the foundation of grace. Now, of the five, this may be the most destructive obstacle of all, because many people are totally unaware of its existence. If If you ever come to church the least bit inclined to look down your nose at the rest of us, you can be sure that your praise on that day never went higher than the ceiling tiles. As James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Because of God's grace, we need not wallow in guilt, and we dare not bask in pride. It's it's all about His mercy. So don't let self-satisfaction present you from experiencing the presence of God. Obstacle 3, depending on our emotions. Have you ever come to church and thought, I'm just not feeling it today? I'm not feeling anything, I'm just kind of blah. Have you ever felt that way when you tried to have a morning devotion at home? It's unfortunate, but somewhere along the way we picked up the idea that worship is supposed to feel good. We think if I'm not feeling it, then I can't worship. After all, I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'll try to work up some emotions so that when I'm done, maybe I'll feel good, maybe I'll feel like I've worshipped, and maybe God will be happy that I finally came around. Well, the problem becomes that we spend our whole time in worship thinking about how we feel rather than thinking about the God we've come to worship. So I want to make it clear that it's not hypocritical to sing praise to God even when you're not feeling all bubbly inside. In fact, it's a sign of shallow faith to enter into worship only when you feel it. Friends, I I say this very clear. It, It isn't at all about your feelings. Worship is about giving God that which he's due. And he is worthy of our praise whether you're feeling up to it or not. Paul said that we are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. A sacrificial attitude means that you say, I've come to give of myself, not receive for myself. So when you're not feeling it, that doesn't mean that worship can't be as good today. It means that worship can be even better than ever because you're coming to God with a sacrifice. When you come to public worship or when you enter your private devotions at home or your war room, there are going to be times when you don't feel anything at all. But our time of worship is not about our feelings. It's about giving God that which is that which He is due. I also want to make it clear that many times worship is an emotional experience. But even when it isn't, even when you feel nothing, your worship is still a fragrant sacrifice to God. Don't let the absence of emotion stand in your way. Here's obstacle four willful resistance. Now, this is not the attitude that says, I'm not feeling it. This is the attitude that says, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Do you see the difference there? Sometimes it's just a sinful no that stands in the way of our worship. I mean, I've seen people come to church looking like they must have been dragged there, kicking and screaming. They sit there with their arms folded, completely disengaged from all that's going on. 
I mean, I, I've stood in the pulpit and looked out and seen a few people, and it's almost as if they're just saying, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to open my Bible. I'm not going to laugh at any of your silly jokes. I'm not going to say amen. I'm not going to bow my head or close my eyes during the prayer. Well, have you ever had that attitude? Well, I know that some of you have because I can see it from up front. I could probably see it from here even on the computer. I also know that I've had that attitude more times than I care to admit. It is at this time that we need to remember that worship is an act of obedience much more than an expression of emotion. God is pleased with our when his people come together and worship him, and he is pleased when you set aside time each day to give him that which he is due. When you find yourself saying, I don't want to, um, what's the best response? Well, the best response is, do it anyway. Perhaps you've heard the saying, um, pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. The same applies to worship. When you don't want to, do it anyway. In verse 21, Paul says, don't, be, don't overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There are many ways to apply this command. I mean, let's think about how it applies to worship, for example. When you're about to give in to sin, when your attitude towards God is a big giant no, you can overcome that attitude with something good, the act of worship. You can be sure that it won't be emotional worship, instead it'll be intentional worship, and it will please God. There are times I've come to worship saying, Lord, I pray my desire to be obedient will be more acceptable to you today than it is. I don't want to attitude I've been carrying around. We need to remember, worship is an act of obedience. And finally, here's obstacle five. It's a lack of practical understanding. People say, I want to cultivate a worship-centered lifestyle, but I really don't know how to, especially in my private devotions. Well, next week we're going to talk about how to develop a consistent pattern of worship in your daily life. The practical understanding begins with the principle that Paul teaches in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, friends, every time you come to God with an attitude of surrender, every time you open the word or listen to a sermon with a teachable spirit, Every time you choose to take a step of obedience, your mind is renewed and you experience one more increment of transformation. As time goes by, uh, you learn, as Paul says, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm saying that just as you learn how to pray by praying, you learn how to obey by obeying, you learn how to worship by worshiping. In the early days, you may not know what to say at all. It may feel awkward and mechanical, but the more you worship, the more you cultivate a lifestyle of worship. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. One of the ways the mind is transformed is through the daily discipline of intentional worship. If you're not sure what it really means to worship, and if you're not sure how to go about it, that's okay, because you're getting there. You learn to worship by worshiping in both public and private. And don't let the fact that you haven't always been consistent in the past prevent you from becoming consistent today. Now, before you can do anything right and anything good, you have to face down the obstacles. You must clear away the brush and make a path for yourself. When it comes to worship, there will always be an obstacle or two in the way. Our sinful nature will make sure of that. That means that every time you come for corporate worship every day when you begin with your morning devotions, you need to be aware of whatever obstacles may be standing in your way. 
and don't let it come between you and the presence of God. Instead, when there's an obstacle in the way, what are you going to do? You deal with it to the best of your ability, and you worship anyway. I apologize for that interruption. I had a couple of phone calls. Um, My kids are in town, so I'm going to kind of backtrack a little bit. Uh, Just to say, you might say, I don't feel worthy. Well, guess what? You're not worthy, and that's why you need God's grace. And when you don't feel worthy, I just say, worship anyway. You may say, but sometimes I think too much of myself. But who doesn't? Um, Ask God to deal with your pride and worship anyway. You may say, but I'm not feeling it today. Well, it's not about your feelings. It's about giving God that which he is due. So ignore your feelings and worship anyway. You may say, but I don't want to. Now, we've all been there. You overcome this sinful attitude by doing good and worship anyway. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.